there, I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome back to Aging Fearlessly, another program, another week. And I'm fortunate again to have Annie Girton back with me. You might remember Annie from a previous interview. Uh, she's a psychotherapist and psychologist and very, very knowledgeable. Annie, what did we talk about last time? Last time we were talking about uh, the human givens and the fact that we have basic needs as human beings, as animals, need for hunger and, sorry, a need for food and water and also a need for privacy and control and community and connection in our lives. And um, I, first of all, I forgot to say welcome. Well, thank you, Karen. <laughs> oh, just jump the gun, Karen. Don't yeah. even, you know, don't even introduce us, let Annie introduce herself properly. So today we're talking about relationships. Mm. Well, I work as a psychotherapist, but my main work is as a couples counsellor, a relationship counsellor. So I see a lot of couples whose relationships are in trouble or there's a lot of unhappiness or there's a lack of communication. Um, and I work with them to help them get their relationship back on track. And I think that's incredibly important. And I know so many of my friends who are looking for love, mm. looking for companionship, some, mm. some that say... I never want another relationship and sometimes I find that hard to relate to. Hmm. So yeah, let's get on with it. Okay, so you're talking about single people there, people who uh, don't have an intimate partner at the moment in their lives. Yeah, and surprisingly enough, there's so many single women. I used the word yesterday, this is a word I really hate, um, spinster in a conversation that how the bachelor is someone that's revered. But the spinster is like the old maid, the dowdy looking, the, you know, there's different connotation. I think you're talking in stereotypes and cliches there, Karen, <laughs> really. Um, I think I'd refer to them all as just single people who at the moment, this moment in time, don't have an intimate partner, um, which makes it even more important that they have a good community of friends. Um, and in particular, one person that, with whom they have a relationship, it may not be sexual, it doesn't need to be sexual, but someone they can share their lives with and don't feel judged. And then we're talking about relationships, I, I suppose, to same-sex relationships. Oh, yeah. I see no difference, really. It's all just a spectrum and um, gender doesn't really come into it at all. No, and I think we're, we're these days, we're much more open to... All types of relationships. All types. Yeah. All types. It's just about two people connecting, finding that they have an attraction and spending a lot of time together. What's the difference between falling in love when you're, I'm going to say older, over 50, over 60, to when you're young? 
Um, actually, very little difference to falling in love when you're very young or when really? you're much older. That's right. You may be surprised to learn that all relationships have a kind of uh, pattern. Um, so that there's a r romantic phase when people first fall in love, mm -hmm. and that's characterized by feelings that you've met someone who is your other half, someone who you um, feel very comfortable with, someone that you can't be bear to be without. Um, and you, you sort of gloss over any difficulties or problems. In the romantic phase, everything is wonderful, and there's fireworks, and it's terrific, and then all relationships at some point or another will move into what we call a conflict phase, but the conflict may not be overt. Mm. It can be more hidden, and then from then we move into a much deeper love phase, and all relationships have that kind of pattern. There's a three stages to all relationships. That's, um, yeah, I think... Sometimes we don't think about these. We just, you know, you go with those feelings of, oh, and, um, oh, isn't it great? I'm in love. And then as that feeling, those feelings sort of fade away, you, you start to, I start to question things. Do I really love this person? Well, that's where I work with a lot of couples when that, those feelings come in, that maybe they have a bit of disappointment, a bit of feeling this is not the person that you fell in love with, that they've changed. But the fact is it's the relationship that's changing and evolving. Mm. Um, and I work with couples who really want to maintain the connection and the affection between them to make themselves happy. And what about falling in love for the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s? Well, there's no difference in as much as when people are older, they have the same kind of connection um, with someone that they feel attracted to. Um, same feelings of love that generally gradually move into a feeling of more um, difficulty, slight more conflict, picking up on each other's little foibles and idiosyncrasies, and um, then can move into a much deeper stage of uh, acceptance and commitment i do know of someone who her mother is in her 90s now and she met a fellow in her late 80s and at 90 they moved in together mm, very sweet isn't it it is but they'll be feeling the same thing that a couple who are 20 will be feeling it's almost exactly the same there yeah. are some differences, but essentially the relationships are the same whatever age you are, which is rather wonderful. It is rather wonderful, mm. isn't it? In the break, we were talking about love at first sight. Mm. It's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Well, they say it happens. Mm. Well, you hear of it so often, that, and it does happen indeed. And it does depend a lot on what someone is looking like. So um taking care of one's appearance does matter a lot but there is actually something unconscious going on when that love at first sight thing happens is that like the pheromones and the mm, <laughs> bit more than that no it's a bit more than that we don't actually know exactly what the science is but we know that there is something that goes on when two eyes meet or rather four eyes so when your eyes meet across the crowded room people can and do fall in love even before they've spoken so what's that all about? And we know now that it is to do with recognising someone that reminds you of someone from your childhood. Ah. So it all goes back to childhood, as most psychology does these days. Um, really, since John Bowlby introduced his research back in the 30s and 40s, we now recognise the importance of childhood on us as adults. And we play out a lot of our childhood woundings in our um, adult relationships. So when we see someone that we are attracted to, that happens in a split second 
eyes across a crowded room. It can do. And I think we've probably all felt that. And there is the opposite as well. There's some people that we meet and we can instantly take a dislike to. Mm. So there's something that goes on at an unconscious level that we don't exactly know what it is, but we know it exists. I often talk about my own friends, but I remember one girlfriend saying she was working for a company mm. and a film director walked in. to. She was working for Grundy's at the time. And he walked up to the desk and he said, I'm going to marry you. Mm. And, and they did. They did. Yeah. 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 yeah, they did. They married. Yeah. And wow, it was just like that. Yeah. And yes, it does happen. It really does happen. And it's about trusting your intuition. I think people who follow those sort of feelings, most usually it does work out. Of course, sometimes that attraction is based on something that's not quite right. So what I mean by that is that someone who might have had some trauma in their childhood may meet someone that they recognize as the person who created that trauma. Mm -hmm. So the person may not actually be good for them. So you can find yourself attracted to someone who's not actually particularly good for you. And we hear a lot about relationships which repeat bad patterns. So someone will meet someone that's not very good for them and they let that relationship go and then meet someone else who it turns out is equally not good for them. So that can happen as well. I'm smiling because of you talking about me. <laughs> I think I've repeated some of those things many times. Well, hopefully we do learn something from each one and take that those learnings with us so the next relationship is an improvement on the early ones. It's always about, you know, you seem to... I was watching Sex in the City the other night and they were talking about relationships mm. and always picking, you know, the wrong type. Mm -hmm. And mm. I'm sure many of, many of us say that mm. so often that we're guilty of picking the wrong person. And we seem to have types as well that we go for. But hopefully as we get older and learn to, more about ourselves, we can make better choices. And it is about a choice. So you can feel that attraction for someone. But as you become older and more self-aware, you can recognize that what you're feeling is not necessarily good for you. Mm -hmm. So as you know, when you're young, you might need stability but you end up with a bad boy um, as you get older you'll still recognize that bad boy and see a spark but the older you might say no that is not right for me and go on and meet someone who's a lawyer or an accountant who is actually a lot more fun a lot more stable and just what you need yes and I know that for me stability is really important these days mm. if you're really unhappy in a relationship what's the advice should someone leave well, as a couples counsellor, I would say, no, no, don't throw away everything at the stage. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Come and see a professional and work on the relationship and, um, and don't, don't abandon everything straight away. Don't stop just because there's irritation or there's conflict or there's arguments. In some ways, conflict is really helpful and healthy. Uh, I do have couples who come in and say, we don't know what's the matter is, we never argue. And that is what's the matter, that they never yeah. argue. They never have a crossword that is then resolved. Yeah. Uh, it's really healthy to be able to express yourself and speak your mind and say what you're feeling without feeling that that might be the end of the relationship. You, there needs to be a sense of safety in the relationship so people can express themselves. And would those sort of behaviours come from when they were young? Oh, most definitely. We are, as adults, most definitely the product of whatever happened to us as children, sadly. Um, and we often repeat patterns through generations. Um, so 
as we become more aware these days in these enlightened times people do go to therapy a lot more mm. to understand themselves much better and when a relationship is going pear-shaped they will go to a couple's counsellor much more easily and readily and more earlier on before the trouble becomes too entrenched I think um, you said don't throw away the baby with the bathwater. I think these days what I observe is that people do walk away from relationships very, very quickly. Mm. As I was saying earlier, there is these stages of relationships and the early romantic phase then moves into a, what we call a conflict phase because what, what characterises it is there is a lot of conflicts and petty arguments and niggles and irritations and frustrations. It is characteristic of that middle phase of a relationship. But then you can move into a much deeper love stage where there is much less of that. It is resolved far more easily. Um, so leaving a relationship as soon as the first conflict is felt is really not helpful because you will then go into another relationship that's just, just the same and again and again. Our society these days makes it easy to walk away, mm. where in my parents' day mm. it wasn't easy to walk away. Absolutely. In the old days, if, even if it was broke, you tried to fix it. You know, whereas these days, as soon as there's any bit of conflict, people just throw the towel in. Mm. So... Um, most definitely if you were attracted to each other one time there was something that drew you very much together and maybe you had children um at a later age really it it's so many things that make it worth hanging on in there and working through things and reaching that deeper love phase that's great advice um annie what if your partner's really annoying (laughs) i think we're all pretty annoying but some of the time um and the interesting thing is how minor the irritations can be. You know, the, the joke about someone who squeezes the toothpaste from the middle of the tube, you know, is so true. And it can be very small things that can, we can find incredibly irritating. The way someone eats or the way they do things or it unconsciously can be really irritating. And I'm sure we all do, even you and me, I'm sure there's something. Oh, no, there's nothing. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing that I do that would be... I, I'm perfect. So what a lot of couples do is either disguise their irritation and it pops up in some other way. So they may pretend they're not irritated about that but pick an argument about something else or they might express that irritation. Um, you know, I can't bear it the way you eat or the way you cut up your food or something. Food is, often comes up as an issue as well as putting out the garbage and hanging out the washing and cleaning and stuff like that. So it can be really uh, simple. Um, and apparently inc- insignificant thing that makes people irritated. But it's really important to note this. This is what we call conflicts, as well as bigger frustrations and bigger irritations. These are the conflicts. And when you get that feeling rise up, of, oh my God, why do they do that? Um, that feeling is connected to the way you felt as a child. And if you oh. note that feeling... You can actually analyse it and you can think to yourself, yes, that reminds me of the way I used to feel when Dad used to do that or Mum used to do that. Um, Sometimes these feelings are quite buried and it takes working with a professional to help those feelings come out. Is it good to journal about them? Journaling is terrific. It's as good as talking, actually, because what we say is that we have the thoughts going round and round our mind and it's not until we externalise the thoughts that they make more sense. So journaling, talking out loud to oneself if necessary, but also to a professional can really help. Journaling? 
This is a question I was thinking about last night, because not in the last week. I have been doing a little bit of journaling on a couple of issues that Mm -hmm. I personally am working on. Um, Is it best to journal in your own handwriting or do you journal on a computer? You know, it doesn't feel the same when I do it on the computer. I just think it's personal choice. For some people who are more computer literate, being on a computer is easy and comfortable. But for a lot of older people who are used to writing by hand... um, use a notebook or something it really doesn't matter to me journaling takes me to the notebook Mm. because the computer is to me working Mm. or writing an article or writing something more serious when i it's actually the physical having a book to write in Mm. it's it is as you say personal and um the kids leave home. Yes, this is a big transition point. Um, it starts when the kids are born. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That's when things really change. So you have a relationship that starts. Uh, there's more and more deeper commitment and connection. There may or may not be a formal wedding, but there's a commitment to each other. The kids start to arrive. And when the first baby arrives, that's when things really shift. There's a really big difference. And um, it takes a lot of work sometimes to keep a relationship on track. Because for a young couple, there's so much going on, as we know as older people with kids. Um, so much is changing. So um, often relationships endure because the parents want the kids to have a safe and stable home so they will put up with any kind of irritation and conflict between themselves for the sake of the children and that goes on for many years until the kids eventually leave home aged 18 20 22 or whenever they go and suddenly there's two people rattling around the house on their own and not quite sure what to say to each other how to behave with each other they may have become like good friends raising kids co-parenting together and there may not actually be much intimacy left between them and Mm. it can be a big problem this stage of transition but that's what it is it's a stage which can be helped through with professional help if it's not going well i laughed when you said the kids leave home at 20 or 20 i think it's more like 40 or 42 can be so annie i want to talk about an example at my eldest niece's 21st my brother-in-law stood up and made the most incredible speech and it really placed the significance of the birth of the first child and where he was relegated to and then the second one and he got further and further down the pecking order mm. that even the cat was in front of him and it was it's just hilarious like hearing his version of how the family family dynamic changed mm. and they had a they do have a very good relationship, but mm. that relationship changed with yes, kids. It does change. Life changes relationships from day to day sometimes. Stuff comes up and people change. And that's good. That's healthy. I mean, conflict is growth t- trying to happen. That's what we say is when people are in conflict, there's niggles, there's irritations, there's frustrations. What's actually going on is that they're trying to grow as humans, as, as individuals. So growth is healthy. Conflict is healthy. So it's almost like you're having an education within that relationship all the time. In more than an education, you're actually healing childhood wounds. So two people come together remembering unconsciously their woundings from as children and they come together and create a relationship with someone who is actually the perfect person for them to help them heal and help them grow. So the person that you're married to is the perfect person for you even though it may not seem like it all the time. Um, So within the relationship, you can actually heal childhood woundings. Mm. I'm going to leave that there there right now. Annie, 
being if someone's single for a long time mm. um is there still a chance of finding love oh most definitely as we were saying earlier age is no impediment to finding love um it really is not age related at all those feelings that we have for people um the ability to connect and create a relationship happens at any age so thankfully hopefully um it, it really doesn't matter how in your know, 70s and 80s even if you have never been in love before it can still happen any um some people seem to go from one relationship to a next mm. in a heartbeat mm. others like myself you know i've i found sometimes i've been 2 3 maybe even 4 years between a relationship mm. Mm. and there's no textbook on this there's no kind of standard guide to how relationships are and well there is a guide on how relationships have a life cycle but the space between relationships for us serial monogamists um there's no guide to how long we should have between relationships so some people do go straight from one to another and in a very healthy way other people have several years because it can be hard to find love it's not something that's just out there to sign up to it has to be heartfelt and it has mm. to be um a mutual very hard to spend time with someone and have an intimate relationship and a close relationship if you haven't got those feelings mm. Well, for me it is. Yeah, I think if any of us are going to be authentic, then those feelings do have to be there. Yeah, I think just settling mm. for me, just settling for someone, it doesn't work for me. That's right. That's right. And I think it's probably true to say that first love is different from older love. So when we're sort of eighteen and twenty and fall in love for the first time, that is extremely powerful. um but the f- love we feel when we're older can still have the same qualities of heart palpitations and feeling that you've met someone that is really special that can happen at a later age as well hmm it is those heart palpitations you sort of remember those and you think mm. oh you know mm. where have they gone well i would recommend anyone who's sort of looking for love um to just keep their radar up and keep looking because it does happen i have a couple who met at an atm machine they were both standing there drawing down money and they got talking and one thing led to another and now they they're very happily married and other people of course use online systems to meet and those also we hear increasingly day after day how many people meet online the systems like tinder which you just flick through which are appealing to those unconscious kind of recognition um the recognition that we were talking about earlier about love at first sight that is what's happening with tinder um and then you get other systems of course where um like rsvp and eharmony where you write a lot about yourself and say what you like and so you're looking for someone who has similar likes and dislikes and that can work very well as well i often find with the dating sites that the expectations are mm. so high when you meet mm. that there is a huge often a huge disappointment from both from both sides yes we build ourselves up for that date and think that well this might be the one and even though um, it's a triumph of hope over experience because your experience is that time after time it's not the one but we still keep going and keep getting ourselves dolled up and go out and, and have another date um it's really hard it's stressful it's difficult and i would recommend that people do it for a bit and then give it a rest for a while i think you have to give it a rest for a while from my past experience i haven't done it for a long time now but I just think from my past experience it can be incredibly frustrating mm. especially when you're constantly going to that 
that app or that site mm. every other day mm. to have a look and to see if someone's made contact or to see if there's someone new on there that you might want to contact. And, of course, people aren't entirely honest. You know, men mm -hmm. are renowned for, for telling fibs about their height and women are renowned for telling fibs about their weight. So you get a lot of apparently very tall men in there and a lot of very slim women, and there's going to be disappointment around that. But then you put so much judgment that I want someone that's a certain height, and, mm. and so, but you're looking for someone that isn't, in my mind, isn't real. Isn't and until real. you actually see them, it might be that the charisma between that that person has, they might be five foot seven and I might be five foot nine, but there's something when you meet them, and that's gone. Mm. on a dating site mm. well i don't know it, it can happen but I, I think you're right it takes a meeting and that first meeting and within the first two minutes of that meeting you will know whether this person is someone who's of interest to you but that person at five foot seven if i met them they might you know i might really find that person very attractive mm. however i've ruled them out mm. before i even get to meet them so you're putting blocks up mm. and expectations before you even meet. Which is why a lot of men lie about their height and a lot of women lie about their weight, basically. Mm. Because they know that the other, the other sex wants certain things. Women want height and men want slenderness. But the fact is that we can find people who don't meet our prescribed requirements just as interesting, actually, in real life, as you say. Yeah. Well, I still think there's nothing like meeting someone in person, mm. impromptu. Um, mm. What are they? What's that serendipity? Spontaneous. Spontaneous. Yes, sliding doors, whatever. The old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. Yeah. And in my parents' day, it was very much the old dance halls. Mm. You know, you went dancing. And I think there is a revival of dancing these days. Or you would say dancing. I would say dancing. Yeah. Thank you, dancing. <laughs> and I do love saying dancing. But yeah. and Modern Jive and um, oh, Salsa, there's so many people now signing up for yeah. these. Well, hopefully people aren't limiting themselves to the internet. What someone perhaps should be doing is uh, looking at what their interests are, maybe playing tennis, it may be dancing, it may be several other things, and joining clubs and doing the social side of all those activities. That Annie, what advice have you for long-term, long-time singles um, and meeting their emotional needs? Community. It's all about friendships and community and people. And um, you don't need lots of people in your life necessarily, just half a dozen core people around you, and only one good friend will do it. Basically, but we all need someone that we can share our day with, that we feel that we can be completely honest and open with and won't be judged. That's mm. the key. So we all need that person in our lives. And it doesn't need to be a sexual relationship. So it can be a mate, a buddy, someone that you have who you can be completely open and honest with and who will have a discussion with you and maybe not advise you too much. Just be there for you. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I do have a couple of go-to people mm. and usually for different topics, mm -hmm. you know, different mm. emotional needs that I have. Um, Which is in, in some ways why being single is better than being married because as a single person you can have two or three even very close people that you can turn to, whereas if you're married then you really are with one person and not all people meet all of our needs. So you can get some married people who may have a very good marriage, very good relationship, but feel that on some levels and in some ways their partner doesn't meet all their needs. 
What about effective communication? Mm, it's uh, communication is the key, isn't it, to all relationships? And of course, there's different languages of communication. There's touch and there's action and behavior and there's sweet words. And so communication has many different elements to it and too many aspects to, to talk about completely in this, in this small segment. But, um, when we commu- when we're talking to somebody, we ha- all have a tendency to think about what we're going to say in reply. So while the other person is talking to us, we're not actually concentrating on what they're saying. We already have in our mind what, how we're going to reply. So it's very good practice to kind of slow down what your, your response and actually mirror back what the other person is saying to you so that they really know that they've been heard. And when we're in an argument or a dispute with someone, that tendency to think ahead is even more exaggerated so that when we get heated and we start shouting or we get um, aggravated with someone, even more tendency to um, think about our reply. So you may wait for the other person to finish what they're saying, but you already have it in your mind. You're already thinking ahead of what you're going to reply, and that comes out angrily. So in an argument or in a communication, to communicate effectively, it's important to slow everything down and to repeat back some of what the other person has said so that they feel heard, and that makes them feel good. And then you can empathize with how that makes them feel, how you think they may be feeling. I, um, in my full-time job, have learnt, because it's a sales-type role, uh, that the importance of listening to someone Mm. and allowing them that space to talk and not interrupting and really, you know, it's like you said, forming, you want to get those words out, Mm. but waiting until they've completely finished Mm. and then being able to express and to um, empathise with what they're feeling That's right. or that what they've said. Look, you know, Annie, I understand what you've said and how you might be feeling. That's right. And it, it does simmer the situation Absolutely. so quickly. And thinks, well, this person then thinks, well, sh- they are listening to me. That's right. We call it, uh, in Imago, I use a relationship therapy called Imago, I-M-A-G-O, which is um, a mirror of somebody. Um, so we talk about having a bridge between two people and the listener crosses the bridge into the sender's world and actually tries to stand in their feet, in their shoes, and it, mirror back what they're hearing them say and then they'd swap over and the one who was the sender becomes the listener or the receiver and the sender will then express what they're feeling hmm um well i think that's great information and really important and um we can all learn from those sort of things. I think I should come and try it with you. Well, in, in Dallas, in America, the city is using this Imago technique in their schools. So small children are being taught how to communicate with each other and the skill and the advantages of actually listening and expressing, mirroring back what they hear someone say. And they have found that children who practice this Imago um, are much calmer and there are far fewer arguments and Uh, frustrations around because they are being taught to express themselves very early in their lives and these are skills that we should all learn let's face it Mm. so that when we get into teenage years when things become stressful because of all those hormones um, we can express ourselves and as adults too entering into relationships we can express ourselves and a lot of older people 
just have not learned how to communicate effectively. And it's a skill that can be learned. And so go and see a professional if you're struggling with feeling heard, um, if you feel that your partner is not listening to you, if you have things that you want to express but you don't know how to raise them, um, how to bring things up, um, maybe you're fearful or you feel that uh, it might trigger things in your partner, go and see a professional and have these things heard in an imago kind of way. You mentioned something a moment ago about children and I think a lot of times well, we learn from our parents and if, mm. if you have parents that fight and argue and aren't good communicators, you're going to take that through in your relationships. Would that be correct? Well, we learn how to do our relationships from our adults, from those who are our primary caregivers. And the adults today, people who are in adult relationships in their 30s and 40s with young children, are teaching their children how to behave in relationships. So yes, we definitely learn our relationship skills from our primary caregivers, and they may not be doing it right. So what we learn is not healthy. Do you reignite a relationship that's 35 years or more old that the children have left and you know it's difficult at first i think the first thing is to admit that there's something that could be improved because you can have two people that kind of rattle around in the house and um think this is it this is the way it's got to be for the rest of your lives and it's not like that so the first thing is to talk about it to each other say things like we could be better than this we we can have much more fun than this we could be more reconnected than this sometimes people start that conversation by saying i'm not happy and we could be happier so um having admitted to each other that uh, things could improve mm -hmm. again i would suggest you go and see an imago professional uh, a relationship counselor to help you to talk because it is difficult strangely this is the person who knows you best who's your nearest and dearest and there can be great barriers to actually expressing yourself and saying things mm. so with a professional in the room things can be said which you wouldn't dare to say between yourselves so uh, take, taking that first step and then the second step is to perhaps do a few exercises between yourself I mean one exercise we use is called misses and wishes so you each take a piece of paper and you write down the things that you loved about your relationship when you first met and you miss now and the second thing you do is to write down the things that you long for things that you miss so the things that you'd like to have and then you sit down together and compare your lists so you talk about all the things that attracted you to each other the things that you would like to do in the future and in that talking about those things hope and energy can be created and um, when you start talking about how the future could be it's amazing how sometimes memories come up and it's worth talking about that so by doing a little exercise like that um, it can encourage people to reconnect. Have you ever sat in a restaurant and seen a couple sitting opposite each other and, and through the whole meal in the evening they've not talked? Mm. And sometimes that, that can be a nice relaxed silence. Uh, sometimes we look at couples and judge them and actually they may be very happy and content with that. But I agree with you. Sometimes you look at couples and one he's looking up in the sky and she's looking at someone else and maybe they're both on their devices and um, you think that what a, an opportunity they're missing. Then you look at other couples who are talking together animatedly and they may be 40 years into a relationship and they're still talking together animatedly. So what is the difference between them? And it's basically effort making the effort um, but there are certain exercises and tricks that one 
can do. And one of the most basic ones that in Imago we use with our couples is the appreciation dialogue. So every day you try and say to each other, one thing I've appreciated about you today is, and then, and when you did that, it made me feel. Mm. So it's a two-part thing, and you both have say it. And a feeling. Uh, and it goes to feelings. So that's often what's missing in relationships, is expressing your feelings. Mm. Uh, the relationships can go into a kind of um, easy phase where you're just friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I'm sure we've probably all experienced that at some time or another, because that's the way relationships pace. They can go to just friendships and be co-parenting or just living together. But to reignite the passion then you need to be st- start talking about feelings, what's going on for you. So I was just going to ask you about passion and reigniting that passion. Mm. Yes, and passion can be there at any age. In fact, as older couples can have a lot more fun um, and be much more passionate than young kids who have no idea what they're doing. So as we get older, it's about being relaxed and being um, feeling safe with your partner and um, just enjoying each other and uh, feeling free and confident enough to talk about things that are quite deep and sensitive. Annie, today has been a really great chat again. I completely love having you here. It's lovely to be here. I hope you'll come back again. I'd love to, thank you. If anyone wants to find out more Mm. from you, how do they find you? I have a website, so it's www.anniegerton.com, and that's Annie, G-U-R-T-O-N, all one word, anniegerton.com, and they can contact me through their website, or they can just book in to see me. And, um, yeah, I'd love to see people whose relationships are a bit tired or there's stuff you want to talk about and can't talk about with your partner, you want to reignite things, come and see me. Or one of my colleagues. You just look up Imago on the internet and you'll get people in your area. How do you area. spell Imago? I-M-A-G-O. I-M-A-G-O. It's, it's Latin for image because when we meet someone, we meet someone that we recognize as the image of someone we need. Ah, beautiful. Mm. Well, that's it for another Aging Fearlessly episode. It's been fun, Karen. Thanks for having me. Um, as I said, I just love having you here. For anyone who's listening, you can find me via Aging Fearlessly, the Facebook page, or Karen Sander, or at karen.agingfearlessly at gmail.com. If you do know anyone that has a fabulous story that will be willing to share on this program, please put them in touch with me. So that's it for now, and here's uh, the wonderful song by Nick Howard. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, aging is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside There's a sparkle in your eye It's not all nine to five It's a wonderful life Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide Live out our dreams Time to wait.
Let your heart be alive. 